If you think of the Bible as a symphony, then every passage of scripture is like a single instrument with its own musical score to play. So every story, every poem, every letter, every prophecy, every dialogue, even every genealogy adds its unique voice to the composition. And this gives harmony and rhythm, texture, depth, contrast, color to the melody. Well, I want you to think of these two psalms as variations on the main theme of scripture, and that is the glory of God. Okay, both these psalms celebrate God's goodness and glory. They are united by the celebratory song, bless the Lord, O my soul. And they are in our Bibles to draw out our hearts in praise to our glorious God for his works. Let's pray that our time in these psalms will do just that. Oh Lord, you are very great. Please tune our hearts to these psalms today so that we open our mouths and praise your glorious name for all the wonderful works you have done. Amen. Okay, we're going to fly kind of unevenly through these psalms. We'll observe stuff from like 50,000 feet elevation, but other places we'll kind of swoop down Uh, get our bearings, maybe stop for a refuel. But the final destination is a celebration of God's manifold works where our hearts sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul. All right, I'm gonna cover both Psalms by asking and answering a series of questions. So the first question that pops into my mind when I read these two Psalms is what does it mean to bless the Lord? Okay, a blessing is a benefit, something good that you receive. When we bless the Lord, we notice one of God's benefits, and then in return, we offer up the praise of our mouths for that benefit. Matt Redman gets it right in his song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. There's a line where he says, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. That is what it means to bless the Lord. But how does David bless the Lord in Psalm 103? Well, first, he blesses the Lord with his soul and all that is within him. Okay, your soul is your inward being. An old pastor of mine once said that your soul has parts to its anatomy, just like your body has parts to its anatomy. Okay, you have your mind, and your mind does a lot of different things. It reasons, it imagines, it remembers. Okay, you have feelings, you have a will. All of these things inside of you, your will, your emotions, your memory, your imagination, and your reasoning, these are all parts to your soul. And when we come to bless the Lord, like David, we are to summon all the powers of our internal being to bless the Lord. Secondly, David blesses the Lord by remembering. He tells himself, do not forget all of God's benefits. And then he remembers and lists five of those personal benefits that he has received from God. The first benefit David names is the greatest and best. It's the forgiveness of all iniquity. Okay, knowing what we know about God, this particular benefit is mind-blowing. Okay, the eternal and holy God, as we learned last week, the God with a settled, wrathful disposition towards sin is also a God who forgives all iniquity. But God blessed David even beyond salvation, and that second personal benefit is in verse three. He heals diseases. And there is no need to spiritualize this blessing. In the covenant God made with Israel, he promised to heal their diseases 
if they would keep his covenant. And if they disobeyed, he said he would afflict them with diseases and weakness of every kind. Well, in the new covenant in Jesus' blood, God has not promised to heal all of our diseases in this life, but he will absolutely heal them all in the next. Sometimes, though, God does choose to heal in this life, and we should bless the Lord for that benefit. When my husband gets sick, it's not very often, but when he does get sick, he goes down hard. So he got the flu, I remember, about four years ago, and he walked into our living room one day and basically collapsed on the couch and then stayed there for four days. <laughs> I would come in for temperature checks and to give him liquids and medicine, but he would say, I will never take my health for granted again. Well, do you ever take the time to bless the Lord for the blessing of good health? When you recover from a cold or a flu or COVID, do you acknowledge that it is God who healed you? He gave you that immune system. It's not gonna fight off death forever, but if you didn't have it, you would have died many years ago. So bless the Lord who heals all our diseases. Third, in verse four, David blesses the Lord for redeeming his life from the pit. And some translators say the destruction rather than pit. So kind of think back to Psalm 40 here. But this pit can be any hardship where we're stuck and we don't see any way out. It's a place where we're waiting for God's deliverance. David here blesses the Lord for every one of his past deliverances, and we should follow suit. Fourth, David blesses the Lord for crowning him with steadfast love and mercy. Okay, David already had a crown, right? But he wears this crown with special delight. God's steadfast love is pictured like a beautiful crown adorning the head of a queen or king. And here we remember that God's love brings value to our lives. It elevates us. It makes us beautiful and honorable. We can walk through the world knowing that despite all of our sin and filth, God has placed his love like a crown on our heads, making us his treasured daughters. Okay, the fifth and personal blessing David names is that God satisfies and renews him with good things. That's in verse 5. And these good things speak of material benefits, things like food and drink and clothing and homes and wealth. If you enjoy any of those good things, if they refresh your body and spirit, give thanks to the Lord. It is a gift from his hand because he loves you. And when you understand that, you enjoy those good things even more. So I have a friend who came to know Jesus about three years ago. Her name is Bridget. And one day she told me in her own newly new believer words, she said, now that I believe, I see everything differently. And she told me she had been sitting at her kitchen table reading her Bible, and she looked out the window and noticed with brand new eyes this beautiful tree she has in her backyard. And she thought, oh, God put that tree in my backyard for me, for me to enjoy. And that is what God does. All his gifts are intended to reflect his glory and, and his goodness and love to us. Bless the Lord who satisfies us with good things. In the next section, verses 6 through 19, David looks beyond God's personal benefits to him, and he begins to remember God's community benefits, God's blessings on Israel. So in verse 6, he remembers how God worked justice for his oppressed people in Egypt. 
He then remembers how God revealed himself to Moses first and then to all the Israelites. In verses 8 through 18, he reflects on Israel's covenant with God and explains what that meant for Israel. It meant that even when God's people rebelled, God wouldn't be angry forever. It meant that God wouldn't deal with Israel according to their sins. Instead, he dealt with them according to his loyal love, and he removed their sins. Okay, in verses 13 through 14, God's father-like compassion is another of these community benefits. Okay, God relates with his people now like a father. And if you didn't have a good father, it's, I'm so sorry because it kind of ruins this picture of what God is like for you. But good fathers recognize that their children are frail and needy. And that's what children need. They need their dads to remember what they are like and then to treat them according to that knowledge. I remember countless times as a kid, I was the youngest of four children, and so I just got carted off to all my siblings' things, <laughs> games, recitals, whatever. And I remember coming home late at night, and I would be exhausted. And so I would pretend to be asleep in the back of the car, because I didn't want to have to get out and walk myself up to bed. And my, it was, had to be obvious I was pretending, because my children have all tried this trick, too. <laughs> <laughs> but my dad would have compassion on me. He would just scoop me up in his arms and walk me up to bed and tuck me in. So my, he had compassion on me in my exhaustion. And that is how our Heavenly Father relates to his children. He remembers we are dust. He looks at us and he's like, oh, my little girl, she's just dust. And then he gathers us up in his arms and gently carries us along. He is compassionate to his people. Okay, the fifth communal benefit is God's eternal commitment to his people. He doesn't just crown us with love during our short years in this world. He is faithful to us long after we've died. Okay, long after the world has forgotten us. Okay, your great-grandkids may struggle to even recall your name. Two generations later, who's going to remember you? Well, only the most significant and powerful being in the universe. Verses 17 and 18 tell us that because God loves us, he continues to do good to our children and our children's children. And if you look back to Exodus 34, he does good to us even to the thousandth generation. Okay, do you remember how much God loved David? Well, there are at least three times in the books of First and Second Kings where God resists destroying Judah because of his steadfast love for David. He continued to show mercy to Israel, in some cases for hundreds of years after David died, and even after Israel had grievously, grievously sinned and violated its covenant. But he continued to show them mercy because he loved David, and he had made a vow to David. Well, he loves us like he loves David. He loves us like he loves his own son. And he will continue to show steadfast love and mercy to your descendants long after you are gone. This is, it is in God's heart to save whole families of children. You know, these verses have just revolutionized how I pray for my own kids. I consistently pray, God, you love me. Therefore, please extend that love to my children. Okay, the sixth and final community blessing is found in verse 19, where we see God enthroned in heaven. Okay, whether we recognize it or not, this is everyone's greatest blessing, for God to rule. 
His kingdom is justice and peace. There is no evil of any kind in it, and this is what Israel desperately needed, and this is what we need. There is no hope for a world where God is not on the throne. Question three, who are the recipients of these blessings? Well, David is, of course, speaking of Israel here, God's covenant people. He describes Israel in verse 18 as those who keep his covenant and obey his commandments. So was God's steadfast love dependent on Israel's obedience? Yes, it was. So is God's covenant love with us dependent on obedience? Yes, it is. But we know that obedience was too tall in order for Israel, and it's certainly beyond our capabilities. So how can we claim God's steadfast love as our own? Well, we cast ourselves body and soul on Jesus. Okay, God knew we could never keep our part of this covenant. He he knew we could never obey him perfectly, so he established a new covenant where God himself keeps both ends of the deal. Okay, he promises to love and live with us, and then he sent Jesus to obey the demands of the covenant for us. Okay, Jesus lived the kind of life we should live. He died the death that we deserve to die. And now our lives are hidden in his. And when God looks at you, if you've washed yourself clean in Jesus' blood, he sees only the perfect obedience of Jesus. And he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. So in Jesus, you have obeyed all the commandments, and you are now a recipient of a love like this. All right, question four. Who else should bless the Lord? Well, in this final section of Psalm 103, David moves beyond memory and now employs his imagination to bless the Lord. Okay, he calls on the angels to bless the Lord. He calls on all the hosts and ministers of heaven to bless the Lord. These are beings like the cherubim and the seraphim who praise God around his throne. These beings sing a different kind of praise than what we humans sing, because this text calls them obedient. They do his will. So while these magnificent creatures can sing all about God's glories, they cannot sing as we do about God's mercies. They don't have personal experience with God's mercies as we do. God didn't sacrifice his son to make and fulfill a covenant with them. So we alone can sing, fully sing, the songs of redemption. But we all add our individual voices to the heavenly chorus. But it's not just the sentient beings who are praising God in these verses. Because if you look at verse 22, you see it's all of God's works. All of them are rising to praise him. Not just the people or the supernatural beings, but it's creation too sings the glory of God. They all celebrate together. Question five, how does Psalm 104 relate to Psalm 103? Well, it picks up right where David's song left off. Okay, the last thing David called upon to bless the Lord in Psalm 103 was all his works. So while Psalm 103 is all about God's works on behalf of his people, Psalm 104 is about God's work in creation and the physical world. Both psalms are meditations on God's works. Also, the first stanza of Psalm 104 pictures God ruling from the heavens. This is the last community benefit David enumerated in verse 19 of Psalm 103. 
So we see that God is king over all, and then in Psalm 104, we see him just ruling from the heavens. And then third, the Psalms are united by the celebratory song, Bless the Lord, O my soul. That song bookends both meditations, tying the two together as companion hymns. Okay, but how does this psalmist, we don't know who it was, it could have been David, but text doesn't tell us. How does this psalmist bless the Lord? Well, in verses one through four, he blesses the Lord by marveling at God's greatness. He describes him as clothed in splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light like we would put on a robe. The entire heavens are his tent. The clouds are his chariots and fiery angels are his servants. You are very great, the psalmist says. He's marveling at his greatness. But second, he blesses God by marveling at his creation. Okay, he poetically describes the days of creation in this song. It kind of reminds me of Fantasia, where God is conducting. Remember, we talked about that symphony earlier. He's conducting this musical composition, and at, at his cue, the mountains rise up and the valleys plunge down. Uh, the ground just begins to sprout first plants and then trees. He hangs the moon and the sun and the, I'm sorry, he hangs the moon and the sun in the sky and he, he tells them, keep track of the days, keep track of the season. It's a marvel and the psalmist blesses God for his works here. Third, he marvels at God's provision. So in verse 11, those springs gushing forth in the valleys, they give drink to every beast of the field. In verse 14, the grass is for the livestock to eat, while the plants are for mankind to cultivate and eat. In verse 17, the trees are a home for the birds, the mountains are given to the wild goats, God provides food for the lions in 21, and for all his creatures in 27 and 28. God provides for all his creation so that we can't help but look around and acknowledge God is so good. He takes care of rock badgers. I mean, do you even know what that is? I've read that they're like groundhogs. But God takes care of them. The oceans are teeming with creatures that we've never even laid eyes on. Yeah, God provides for them. And what a provision in verse 13, it says, the earth itself is satisfied with the fruit of God's work. We've seen that word before, okay? We saw it last week, where God fills us up with his love so that we're full. We saw this word in Psalm 22. God's people there are gathered together for a vow offering, and they eat, and they're satisfied. We saw it just in Psalm 103, where God satisfies David with material benefits. But here in Psalm 104, the earth itself and the animals are satisfied. They drink their fill because God is good. Humans are so well provided for that we consume God's provisions, not just for life, but simply for the enjoyment of it. Okay, God makes a variety of plants to cultivate so that we're never bored with our diet. Or <laughs> we don't have to be. Humans have learned to make wine to gladden our hearts. We've learned to produce oil so that our faces shine. We've learned to make bread to strengthen us. Okay, God gives us good food, not just to satisfy our hunger, but for our delight. It is right for us to enjoy a feast so long as we acknowledge it is God's goodness and his joy to give it to us. Fourth, the psalmist marvels at God's judgment. Verses 27 through 30 say, when God opens his hand, his creatures are filled with good things. 
When you hide your face, they are dismayed. We've seen that word before. When he takes away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Okay, this is God's world where he rules over life and over death. But we also see God's assumed judgment in verse 35 where he says, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Okay, in a world where all God's works uniformly delight in God, there is no place for dissenting voices. They don't belong here. They're like poorly tuned instruments in the symphony, or they're like unfruitful trees in God's garden, and God will curse them like Jesus did, that fig tree that wouldn't produce fruit. Remember that? They must either turn from their rebellion or perish in it, and then, and only then, can the whole earth really and truly rejoice. And here I just want to say the psalmist is praying in line with God's will. God has promised to come and judge those who have rejected him. And so it is good for us to pray in line with God's will. This is a prayer of loyalty to God. He wants what God wants. Okay, fifth, the psalmist recognizes God's delight in his own work. In verse 26, he mentions the Leviathan. And the Leviathan is a symbol of power and strength. And we see that God made it to just play in the waters. And here, I think we're supposed to understand that even something as huge and strong and fearful as a Leviathan, this is God's pet. It's created for God's delight, and he does delight in it. Kind of like how we might delight in watching the squirrels play. I, I just laugh at the squirrels chasing each other across my lawn, but I always wonder, like, what happens when one squirrel catches another? Like, what, what happens? I, I think they are actually just playing tag, and they just turn around, and <laughs> the other one does the chasing. But you know how much delight we take in our pets and in the small creatures that run through our gardens. Well, this is God delighting in something as big as a leviathan. But in verse 31, the poet wants God to always delight in his works. He is in awe of God. How can God be anything but delighted in himself? And he is. God is happy. He enjoys all the good work he has done. He is satisfied with it. Sixth, the poet blesses God by enjoying and celebrating God's works. So in verse 24, he breaks into his song, exclaiming, you are very great. Okay, imagining creation week and observing the natural world has moved his heart to praise the Lord. He says, oh Lord, how manifold are your works. He is singing about the variety of God's works. God is a God of infinite variety, and the poet delights so much in him that he vows to sing to the Lord as long as he lives, in verse 33. And then, seventh and finally, he asks God to delight in his own work, in the poet's work, just as God delights in his work. He hopes that this song, his meditation, this little work of his hands, will make God happy. That's in verse 34, he says, May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Okay, but question seven, how do we respond to this glorious God? And there are so, so many things we could say here. 
You know, after spending time in these psalms, my heart is just filled with thankfulness to God, and I hope it's had that effect on you too. But to simplify things, I just want to focus on two specific ways that we should respond to a God like this. First, don't forget. Don't forget any of God's benefits to you. Don't forget the ones he's done for you personally or all the benefits he's given to the community of his people. He is so, so good. Notice his blessings. Name them. Turn them back to praise. And do this every day for as long as you live. Psalm 104 kind of reminds me of a toddler handing a picture to his mommy. Okay, kids love their mommies. They pretty much think they're the best people in the world, right? She feeds him. She cares for him. She bathes him. She tucks him in bed with kisses. She gives him Band-Aids, okay? And he really just wants to give something back to his mom because he loves her. So he draws a picture of her. Well, this psalmist does the same thing for the Lord he loves. Out of his delight in God, he writes this poem, and when he offers, offers it up, like a toddler handing that picture to his mom, he says, please be happy with it because I really love you. So out of the overflow of your heart, Praise God with the words of your mouth like this psalmist. But also, number two, praise him with your works. That's the second response to these psalms. Offer your work as a sacrifice of praise to our great God. So did you notice that many of the works God performs in these psalms are works that we also perform? So we're in the business of building homes. We're in the business of maintaining them through cleaning and repairing and replacing and decorating. We plant gardens and water them. We hang bird feeders. We take care of our animals. We provide for all the people God has put in our homes. Our children's eyes and the eyes of our aging parents look to us to open our hands and satisfy them with good things. Okay, we, we also love our children. We forgive them, we correct them, we show compassion and mercy. We take them to the doctor to heal their diseases. We satisfy them with good gifts. We help them out of difficult situations. Okay, our work is not really that different from God's work. In fact, all of our work is a reflection of God's good work. And when we work hard, offering up all our labors to God as a sacrifice of praise, he is very pleased. He delights in our labors like he delights in his own. So remember that this week when you change another diaper, when you drag the trash to your curb, if you plant some seeds or make dinner or vacuum the hair off your bathroom floor, okay? God is also in the business of making and sustaining homes. Remember this when you forgive your husband again this week. Offer that too as a sacrifice of praise to God. You are doing God's work, and he delights in it. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Let me close us in prayer. We bless you, Lord, for all your many benefits. We can never remember and name them all. But for your goodness and your generosity, for your provision and your covenant of love with us, we thank you. Help us as we go from here to never forget how much you have blessed us. Help us to approach our own work this week with faith and joy, knowing that you rejoice in it. We pray all these things in the name of the one who makes it possible. 
Jesus. Amen.